0: So I just did something that I feel like all the mamas out there can relate to. I had a cold cup of chai and so I thought, okay, I'm going to add some boiling water to it. But I walked away, looked at my phone, came back, thought I'd boiled the water and then I poured cold water into it. Okay, I, I can't drink tea really cold. I can't drink coffee really cold. So maybe you, you can drink cold drinks, but yeah, don't don't do that. Remember to boil the kettle if you can. Okay, enough of my strange stories and habits and goings on in the Marsh household. I want to introduce you to today's guest. Now, she is another female author on the True to You podcast. I think this will be the third, which is super exciting. How about all of these women writing books? I mean, it's just so, so cool. She's also been on the show once before, so that makes her a two time guest and an author and her name is Shinabu Hindert. Shinabu is a certified financial planner, professional money expert and creator of Empowered Planning. Her book, Investing is Your Superpower, goes on sale this week on Amazon, and it offers a proven step-by-step process for building wealth and confidently making investment decisions. While speaking with thousands of people delivering financial workshops for some of the world's biggest financial institutions, she realized that many people, and especially women, were coming to the world of investing with minimal experience because who ever gets taught about investing? We don't get taught about it in high school. Maybe you're lucky to have parents that encourage you to learn about it at a young age, but I would say most people don't. And so trying to research on your own, all of the financial options, what about stocks? What about Bitcoin and all of these other things that are going on now? EFTs, NFTs, (laughs) probably not even saying that right. It can be overwhelming, right? You hear me? Yeah, I wanna get started investing. I'm probably, as I say to Shinabu, her dream client, because you know, I want to start investing, but where do I even start? What what do all these words mean (laughs) to begin with? And yeah, that's the thing. It can all be buried in financial jargon. And so you need a translator and that's where beautiful Shinabu comes in. Her goal is to simplify the complex world of investing and empower women everywhere to reach financial freedom. In this conversation, we talk about the current economic situation in the West, especially what's happened through 2020 and 2021, and how that is rapidly changing the household, the work choices that are now available for women. And also sometimes we're now making choices because we want to move more in line with our values too. Like that has definitely being something that we've realized in in our partnership, John and I, in the last year is like, what do we really value? How do we really want to live our life? Like, what what do we want to be tied to? And what don't we want to be tied to? And what sort of freedom do we want to have? And that's where your finances can play a huge role. And so in this conversation, we talk about the situation that women are in, which I find super fascinating and it's something that Shanabe is really passionate about. So you'll hear that come through. We also talk about what it means to be financially empowered and how you can do that. And some really simple ways that small business owners can think about investing, especially when things can be predictable. flow can be not always consistent. And sometimes you can hit a really good time in your business and you're doing really well and you've got a bit of cash sitting there and you're thinking, well, what should we do with it? So I think this is a great one for you, whether you are working still in a a corporate environment, you're going to learn so much if you're really interested in investing and doing it smart. And also if you're a small business owner, she has a lot of wisdom to impart to us as well and i find that really really helpful because i don't feel like there's a lot out there for people in this situation so let's bring on our guests for episode 86 of the treaty podcast shinabu hindut Welcome to the True to You podcast, your go to show for practical wisdom to build a meaningful and creative small business. You'll find content on marketing, mindset, and tons of experts who want to help you grow a thriving small business that you truly love. My guests are exceptionally creative women building businesses from their zone of genius, all while balancing many other roles in their life. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh, let's do this. Again, Shinabu, to the True to You podcast. I think you might be the first official guest that's been on for the second time that's not
1: my husband. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. Now, I really wanted to have a conversation with Shinabu today because, well, one big thing, she has a book that is coming out the time that this podcast is going to be released, the book is also being released around that time. Her book is called Investing is Your Superpower. And I think that is really going to speak to my audience. And I really wanted to have Shanabu on as well, because there's been some interesting things that she has brought up recently, mainly through, I'm on her email list, which is great, by the way, you should join it. And also, through social media we talk quite a lot through that and she'll bring up things that are going on economically and something i love about shinabu is that she's able to break things down really simply so when you're someone that's that's attuned to what's going on but you don't always understand what's going on <laughs> it's great to have someone like her in your corner so welcome to the show shinabu
1: Thank you. I yeah. I just love the content you put out. I'm a I listen to everything that you put out there. I get so much. So I I feel very honored to be not only a guest but a second timer here.
0: Yes, yes. Well, we've got to celebrate things like book launches. These are huge feats. Yes. Yes. Uh, so when we spoke last year, you were in the midst of writing the book, and you were talking about releasing it in your spring this year. So that's pretty much going to plan, which is amazing. Now, I think also as we are talking about the book and investing as your superpower, alongside that, as I said, the economy has had some really major shifts as we know in the past year impacted by other things that have been going on like the COVID lockdowns and and the pressure that that has put on the economy as well in terms of the job market. But interesting, like, interestingly, I think uh, you're in California and certainly parts of the US from what I understand, but also here in Australia and New Zealand, where I'm originally from, we're having a massive boom as they say, in the housing market. So there's a lot of really crazy stuff going on at once. It's not necessarily all doom and gloom for everyone. Right. And I think when I look at this audience, the true to audience, we're probably majority woman, women, from what I understand. And as a woman who uh, is in the workforce and potentially even has children listening to this, I know that the last year has been really impactful for you job wise. And I believe that's across the US as well. Am I correct? Shinabu?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Women have been disproportionately impacted by the lockdowns, by the pandemic, all, all of that. So yes, we are experiencing the same thing here in the US. Mm, mm.
0: And interestingly, women now, they really hold their own in the household in terms of being a, a key earner. And often I look around at my friends and probably similar for you, most of the time you've got a double income family in some capacity. But what's been interesting is that and we would say that we fit into the middle class, you know, life's been pretty good. Life's been pretty easy. Even if we survived 2008, it's kind of gone on an upward trajectory, even from Mm -hmm. there. So it's been a really interesting time, but I know, especially for women, and I'm sure this has impacted men too, because if you have a family, then these choices uh you have to both make the decision but unfortunately women have been impacted by these changes in the wealth gap so we're seeing the middle class starting to dissolve a little and more extremities happening because if there's there's no jobs and housing prices are going up it's It's not making for a great situation from what I understand. Is there anything you want to share around that to give people some context, Shanaba, on what's been going on economically? And I know you're probably speaking mostly to the US, but like I said, there's a lot of similar patterns happening here as well.
1: Yeah, there's so much to unpack with that. So I just cut me off when when you feel appropriate <laughs> yeah. because I, this is a topic I'm really passionate about because I, I kind of look at it like when we're growing up when we're little girls and we're going to school, at least when I was in school, you're being told you can do anything you want to do. And you're going after like, what do you want to be? A doctor, uh, you know, they throw, you want to be a teacher, a librarian, you have all of these things. It's really rare now for someone to be encouraging a young girl to be a stay at home mom. Mm. And I think that that messaging, while it's positive, isn't really setting us up for scenarios like this. And this is extreme, but I think, as you said, more women are taking on working and being a mom. There's a, and these two income households, there's less and less time to do child caring and child rearing for women. So then, you know, what happens then? Then people are waiting longer to get married. They're waiting longer to have children Then we're having infertility issues. And then, you know, they're not talking about this at a young age. It's kind of most of the times when you're facing a problem head on, now you're going, okay, where, where's my support? Where's my resources? And you got to dig to find them. They're not really there. And then if you talk about them, it can be uncomfortable. So so just from an economic standpoint, with a lot of women, they've had to make what they're pointing is the impossible choice is you can either stay at work, but you don't have child care, or it was very limited options. So you have to ask a spouse, one of them was having to step away from the workforce. And it's not always been the case that it's the higher income earners decided to stay at work. Sometimes it's like, who could handle the, the children? And there's just people have made this really impossible choice. I have a lot of friends who have had to step away from working and they didn't want to. It wasn't their choice to say, oh yes, I've always wanted to stay at home with the kids. This is a great opportunity for me to do it. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Just based on circumstances, especially for people who have children that were under the age of five and multiple children, it wasn't realistic that they could be on a conference call you know, and and switch on and off with their partner. They could do that for a month, maybe two months, but you're talking about 12 months and and ongoing where it just got to the point where they weren't able to perform at work. They were worried about what this was going to look like for their performance, even though they were getting told it's okay. You have some grace period here. And then things were essentially not in shambles at home, but very chaotic, chaotic for the children, chaotic for the parents. So a lot of women made the impossible choice to say, this makes more sense for this place in time for me to step away from my career and stay at home. The, the problem is it's just been women have left the workforce, at least in the U.S., four times the rate that men have that's huge, that's not saying a few more women or 10% more women, four times the rate. So when you look at these women going back to work, they're essentially losing skills, there's no income protection. So that's really scary because we don't know what that impact's going to look like for, for the next few years, because now all of a sudden many companies have had to cut their labor force, they maybe had to close. So you have double the amount of people competing for the same jobs. So even as women are saying, okay, schools are back in, we have care here, everyone's been vaccinated, we're ready to go back to work, well, so are all the other people that lost their jobs. And so that's been really challenging also is to feel confident of going back to work and and I think really having income protection because just because you were staying at home for nine months or even a year to help take care of family matters, why did you lose your ability to earn the same amount of income? that you did prior to that. So I think there's there's a lot to unpack with this, but I I really do want women to come together and talk about options or opportunities for us to come together to come up with solutions. So we're not just saying oops, this happened and I hope this doesn't happen in the future, but you know, let's be loud about this together because there's just nobody has the answer. So I think a lot of people are listening right now and it's a, it's so important for us to come together on this issue.
0: Yeah. Uh, can of worms. <laughs> yeah, I
1: yeah.
0: have yeah. to say is that, yeah, where you probably could talk on this. And I know there's a lot of passionate women out there as well, listening to this, that are probably have been through, even if you, put aside the events of the last year but I think generally this is this is an issue with the workforce anyway is how do we allow women the space because in in Australia and New Zealand uh, just to give you some some context we tend to take nine months to a year off when we have a child and sometimes if women have children back to back then they won't They'll be out of the the workforce for sometimes up to a couple of years. So whilst that's great and that's encouraged, what it does mean for women is that generally, like I said, events of the last year aside, when we're taken out of the workforce, how that impacts us re-entering and I guess add to that the economic situation is how do they re-enter and still have the same earning capacity or not be um, stepped back in their role or in their duties or the types of projects they get put on because they've had that absence from the company. I think that's kind of a wider discussion that generally needs to happen because
1: yeah, I mean, I I, I'm totally with you on that. And I think there could be easy solutions for larger corporations to just have a re-entry program, something that's like six months to get someone back up to speed, because I could see working at giant companies before they, when they move direction, they move As fast as they can but they add new systems they usually test it in one market throughout the country then they outroll it to everyone and all of a sudden everything you knew about two systems before they're gone they don't even work so i understand the rationale of them saying okay you've been out of the workforce for a year or two years or five years oh it's going to take you months to get up here but then create a program around it if you look at the technology Mm -hmm. that, that as entrepreneurs We're able to teach and we're able to learn just all of the technology that I have at my fingertips, like Loom, if I want to do a quick tutorial video, everything that I have access to, you can make that available to people re-entering the workforce and and give them a specific timeline to say, hey, over these three months, we're going to put you in this program so you can Mm -hmm. get up uh, up to speed. And this is a way to protect your earning power, not to devalue you because you went to go create life. So the rest of the world can continue to have innovation. I mean, that seems yeah. kind of ridiculous to punish someone financially for that.
0: Yes, yeah, you are so right, and and that that is um, that would be a really simple solution. And I know uh, we could we could go on probably debating <laughs> um, how companies can implement that what i would love to talk about in line with this question is the book that you have written now given that everything's going on given that we nobody unless uh, they're earning their earning potential is in a certain bracket really has income protection insurance and perhaps even off the last year i don't know I don't know enough about it to know whether that was even valid. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, sometimes these extenuating circumstances can void or make it harder to claim on things like that. But uh, in terms of what we're faced with now, and not just giving women the support and the workforce, but actually, I think what's great about your book is it, It triggers us to look at our money situation as a whole, right? So not just thinking about the income, but if we have that money, how can we be really strategic about it? And obviously, I'm not sure about you, but money in the bank right now in Australia doesn't get you much. (laughs) It's really just cash in the bank and that's it. (laughs) And yeah, so there's uh, whilst it's great for buying a house, if you're a saver and you're waiting for that day to invest it in a house, there's that that pile of cash just sitting there, not really growing um, with interest. So your options then are to look a little broader. And this is where someone like Shinabu is great because I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one thinking this. Like, what do we do? There's savings in the bank or we have a house, we have this equity, great, but it, you know, there, there could be more options out there. So what prompted you to write this book? Was it something that you always had in you despite what happened in 2020? Maybe it was just coincidence that <laughs> that this book came to life or perhaps it was by divine intervention as well that we now have this yeah, why Why did you go, no, I really have to, seeing what's going on around us, what's happening economically, what's happening for our money, uh, why did you decide to push go on this book?
1: I decided to because as a certified financial planner, as a personal finance professional, I really felt compelled to share this information with as many people as possible. And through my business, I have courses, I have an academy that I do once a year that's a live teaching, but it's only going to hit so many people. And when I think about how many people really want this information, but they just don't know where to get it. I wanted Mm -hmm. to create an easy single solution for them that was very actionable. So I didn't want to write a book with a bunch of facts because I figured, you know what, there's textbooks out there already. You can probably get investing for dummies. Um, That has a ton of good content in it, but it gets really dry and boring a lot of these books. So the the purpose of this was to really make it relatable into our daily lives. Cause I, I look at it like anything else when I'm learning information it needs to stick. And <laughs> I need to know, like, how am I supposed to do this myself? But I think, like you said, there's no guarantees in life that you're always going to be getting a certain amount of income, that the economy, the stock market's always going to do well, you're always going to make money on your house. You don't have those guarantees, but you can prepare based on the resources that you have. So if you kind of get knocked down that you understand how to get back up and what direction to go in that you're not just throwing your hands up in the air and going, I got knocked down. This is going to set me back 10 years, but yeah, it might set you back, but you have the foundation there to now spring forward and the resources are not available. And so when people would have these conversations with me and say, Oh, this is great. Where can I get more information before I started my business? I was like, ah, gosh, I don't know. I could point you to three different financial websites, but boy, you're going to have to do a lot of reading. And then there's no curriculum. It's just read an article here, learn a lesson here, watch a video here. You're really doing it on your own. And I wanted something time efficient for people as well.
0: Yeah, th- that's so good, so good. And I, I, love, I love what you said about picking yourself up Because like you said, there's no guarantees in life. And I know a lot of the women on here, whilst um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners, that can be risky in itself. And Mm -hmm. so I think if you have that grounding and that financial knowledge, so much of it is about is uh, feeling empowered is about having the education, right? And once, once you feel like you've got a grounding, then it's so much easier to make a decision in a, in a crisis situation
1: or. Right. Cause these are critical decisions. Yeah. And, and to yeah. be able to critically think about a decision that's going to impact your whole life when you're making financial decisions, it's not just something that you can change your mind and undo in a few days, a lot of times, these are life-changing decisions that you have to make. And if I, I want everyone to make those from a place of power, yeah, that mm. you're feeling like, I'm informed, I'm aware of what's going on. There, I, I can see there's three different options. They're all pretty good for me. I'm going to go with option B because of X, Y, Z. Because you either see people not making a decision because they're overwhelmed with the information, or they're just like, I don't think any of these are good options because I don't have enough information. Or they blindly make a decision because they're just like, well, Mm -hmm. somebody else said this was a good choice. I'm going to go ahead and do this one and and do that without feeling like I'm making this decision because I know based on the information, I'm informed and I feel really confident about it.
0: So something that you talk about in your book is feeling financially empowered. And that's the main reason also that that the title is what it is (laughs) investing is your superpower Mm -hmm. what are some of the other keys apart from education and and having the information at hand what are some of the other keys to or the other elements that help someone to feel like they can make these big decisions and feel financially empowered throughout their life, no matter what's going on in their external circumstances.
1: Yeah. When I think about being financially empowered, to me, it's really making sure that people feel confident and they can make informed decisions. So it's, it's personal. And I think a big element of this is getting to understand who you are as a financial personality, as an investing personality is what does that mean to me? Because if we, you and I go through the same financial education, we have all the same information, we're going to have investments that look different. Mine are going to be more reflective of my personal goals, but also my personality and yours should too. And all of that really is is kind of like an acquired taste, right? You need to know what am I comfortable with? What do I like? What do I not like? How much time do I want to spend on it? And that's all just done through exploration. You can't read about what that's going to be like. You have to experience that for yourself. So when I feel, or excuse me, when I'm talking about being financially empowered, it's that you're like ready to dive in. You can make these decisions confidently. And then over time, it's really just getting to know yourself because this is not a one-and-done task where you're going to find an investment, open an account, and then you're done. We're complex beings. I think I'm going to continue to evolve. My, My financial problems or scenarios in my 20s are very different than what they are now they're going to be very different in 10 years from now and then 10 years after that so Mm. you just want to have a versatile financial personality and it's difficult to feel empowered around this if you don't have a lot of experience there and you don't know yourself that intimately when it comes to your finances so that's really what what the elements that i would see as being empowered is really, truly understanding yourself. This is how I feel when the stock market drops by X percent You know, in this account. This is how I feel when the, the news is going on about this. This is my reaction. You really want to get to know yourself intimately when it comes to your investments.
0: Yes, oh, that's so good because I imagine a good financial planner, I would think, would be really aware of that with who they're working with would you say or do you think financial planners are over here and then their clients are (laughs) over here and how much do you respond to that emotional dynamic that's going on and you might have a financial planner like you said that you work with in say your 30s and then you touch base again 40s 50s if you're lucky to have the same person and then you're, you're changing and your life circumstances are changing, but also emotionally how you feel about money is changing. So yeah, I'm interested to flip it back on you. Does a good financial planner respond to that and, and be aware of that? Or do they just go, no, this is my strategy. This is how we're going to do it. This is what works right now. (laughs) I'm curious to know.
1: Yeah, there's two components. It's such a good question because on one hand you, I think it's, it's, emotional intelligence, right? If you're working Mm. with a financial planner that just loves numbers and everything's black and white, then that to me is not, not someone who's going to be that versatile. Like they have to have the emotional intelligence to know that I'm working with a person. I'm not working with a number. This is a real life scenario and I have to be able to work with that. So if It is someone who's very rigid and they're looking at showing you charts and stats and that just might not be your guy, you know, then the other component of it as a financial planner, it is part of their job to make sure that a client is not making emotional investing decisions. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of two different, two different things is one, you need to get to know yourself as an investor, as your financial personality. fear and greed. That's just how human behavior earning money or you think about losing money. That's just what comes up. You think about the act of making changes to your portfolio because the market went down. Now that's emotional and that's a different because that's dictating how you're making your decision. I kind of look at it like your first thing is your overall financial plan. That should be emotional. You want to really understand what that is, but then the day-to-day investment decisions, those you should not be running from emotion and a good financial planner is going to know the difference between those. Mm -hmm. be able to help you navigate that and they're kind of sometimes your therapist an investing therapist because if the market's going down and you're going geez i really should sell and the financial planner is going to say well ruby you told me you're not touching this money for 25 years why do you need to sell it today you know you're going to have those conversations but if you're just feeling in general uncomfortable with investing, you don't want someone that's going to say, well, Ruby, you're not touching this money for 25 years. We're going to throw it hundred percent in stock. That's emotional intelligence there. They're not listening to you. So it's twofold.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think that's great if anyone off the back of this conversation that we're having today wants to engage a financial planner or financial expert is some things to think about when you're in conversation, when you're interviewing them, because I imagine that probably happens there's a bit of relationship building where you, before you choose to to dive in so just being being aware of that but i know we've got a ton of really smart women on here so <laughs> They're pretty good at reading people. <laughs> they're pretty good yeah, at knowing what they're You
1: have to feel comfortable because you, you, they're going to ask you, how much money are you making? How You know, if that's the first thing they're asking you is what, how many, you know, how much are your assets that you have to invest? How much money are you making? When do you need to use this money? It's like, well, wait a minute. You didn't even ask me what I want to do with my life. And now you're asking me all of these numbers. That's someone who I would think is just a little bit out of touch of how do you effectively communicate? And this is someone who's gonna be navigating you through potentially unforeseen financial issues that might come up, a lot of opportunities that you want this to be someone that you feel comfortable with. So that's just also, you know, you could just be like, hey, not my style. I'm <laughs> not someone I wanna build yep. this long lasting relationship with. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you for that. That's that's so helpful. Uh, I know that's going to make people feel empowered as well to make the right decisions about who they choose to work with. So let's dive a little deeper into the book. Now the book's got three separate phases. Would you like to run us through the, what those three phases are and how you walk through people through the book?
1: Yeah. So the, I broke the book down. I essentially am tasking you to create your own, what I call empower plan by mm-hmm. the end of the book. So that's your own personal financial plan that you're creating for yourself. And the first, it's broken down into three phases. The first phase is creating and building a really strong foundation, a financial foundation. And so this is usually the part that people want to skip over because it's, is a little heavy it's a little bit of homework that you have to do before you get into the fun stuff like investing. The second phase of it is really learning all about investing. What are the strategies that people are using? What are how do you do it right? How are you how can you do it wrong? What does retirement look like? All of those things. And the third phase is all about taking action. You're taking everything that you learned in building the foundation, you're taking everything you learned about investing and actually creating a very personalized plan for yourself. So you're done. And by the end of it, you've actually created this and your your plan is on autopilot. So the first portion is I go into a lot of emotional pieces of this too, and have people really look at making sure that you can align who you are today with your values and your beliefs around money and investing, because a lot of times we're just doing what we were either told to do. We're either winging it, or maybe this is just behavior that we saw other people do that we're we're copying. And that's not really ours, but we've been so busy trying to earn money and trying to keep a roof over our head that we don't have time to sit back and go, well, what do I actually think about money? So this is the opportunity, the prompts to be able to start doing all of that. And we go through budgeting and debt and credit and all of those things. And then the second phase is really diving deep into what benefit are stocks, bonds, cash? What do they have out there? What's the difference between a mutual fund, an exchange traded fund, an individual stock? What are the benefits of owning these? What are all these ratings mean? What are all these companies out there? What are they saying? And then how are professional money managers investing? So 90% of them invest the same way. And I break Mm -hmm. it down. You don't need to become a financial professional to learn this. They're following these guidelines that are easy to copy. Again, we just didn't know where to look because there's too much information out there. Um, And then I really do talk about how to effectively plan for retirement. And so those are the, the phases kind of learning. And then again, the last phase is putting it all together. Like what companies are out there that people could use? Cause this is usually where people stop. They, if they're learning the information they're absorbing all of this information. They're like, this is great. I know like I could take a quiz on stocks right now. I feel ready to go. And then they get back to life and they get kind of tired and they're like, I just spent all this time learning I need to take a little break. I'll get to this in two weeks. And it falls off because they have to figure it out themselves. So I've created step-by-step like here's what you're doing. You're going to a place, you're opening account. These are the questions you're asking. What are you looking for? What do people find valuable when they're working with the company? How can you do it yourself? When should you hire a financial planner to go through all of that? So anytime someone's sitting back and going, well, this sounds great. Where, where would I go and do it? It's like, it's in there. It's in there. I guide you through it step-by-step to just break it down really easily. So people by the end of this will have their own financial plan.
0: And and the thing is, once you have your financial plan, how easy are the next steps for people in terms of say you want to invest in some stocks uh, and I'm talking very basically here. So people may know, know exactly what they need to do next, but you know, you open an account and then you choose the stocks or whatever. How, um do you walk people through those next steps or give them guidance on, I, I imagine you can't really recommend products or things to invest in, but Yeah, how do we then take that next step? We've got all the information, we've got our plan and then what would be the next step for someone after that?
1: So I do actually recommend a strategy that will break all of that down. And I don't recommend buying individual stocks because it is really, there's a lot more risks involved. Like you have the risk of a specific company owner that might say something that Mm -hmm. they shouldn't say and they have a whole PR team that's trying to squash what they're saying. And then you have industry risk. We saw that a lot with COVID. If you were travel or leisure, they got hit really hard. Um, And then you just have overall general market risk. So in 2008, when the financial markets crashed, Essentially, every company had bad performance. It didn't mean they didn't they weren't a profitable company. It was just the way everybody was feeling. So there's a lot more risk that you're exposed to with individual stocks. So I do have. Get and give examples like if you want to invest in stocks, here's a way to do it. Here's a recommended percentage of your assets you should be doing that you can kind of play around with. So if you guess right, you can brag to all your friends that you made all this money. But if you pick the wrong company, you're not sleeping on the street, and you can kind of keep that loss to yourself. And <laughs> really, just how to implement a full-on strategy of what you're looking for, so you can build all of this together. So it, there is a lot of Real clear direction that someone could be fully invested by the end of the book.
0: Oh, amazing! That's so good. That's so good. I can't wait to sink my teeth into this. And I think <laughs> what's what's interesting. Um, if I take my personal scenario, uh, if you're if you're in a couple, but I think if you're if you're not in a couple situation, I, I mean, this is great. Like you know, before you get yourself into a partnership, being financially empowered and having knowledge around all of this stuff and having this set up like that's super cool. But if you're in a partnership, oftentimes I take my personal scenario here, uh, I'm very interested. I'm very keen, but I haven't yet made the steps to understand it. It's a little bit intimidating. It's like, where do I start? There's so many books out there. I bought Tony Robbins book unshakable years ago, and it's still collecting dust on (laughs) on the shelf right now. I've probably read a few pages of it, but then I have my husband and it might be the reverse in some situations as well so this is not like a question of males versus females or anything like that but you know he has a lot more understanding with this sort of stuff and and a lot more um practice at it. And so I think also if you're in a situation where you're the one that's interested, but maybe doesn't have the level of expertise that you can then, I guess, come together in these conversations around your money and feel a lot more confident rather than, and make those decisions together, because I know that's how I would like to make big financial decisions is, it's consulting on it together rather than one person and look, every relationship is different. (laughs) Also, some people might be quite happy to hand it over to someone else, but I, I think, you know, the modern woman is, is very interested in knowing where her money goes. She earns her own money and things like that. So, yeah. And
1: I think just working as a financial advisor for over 10 years, there was this misconception between couples that the Mm. male had it figured out. Mm. And there were a lot of times where I would get in front of them and I would start asking deeper questions, too. And again, we're not picking on men here, but this is in in general, this was the case um, that I would ask them questions. And they were like, "I, I don't know. I don't know. I've just been doing what I think, but I actually don't know. And then the wife would have these huge eyes and was like what do you mean you don't know and and they're like well, i don't know like nobody taught me i'm doing like we've been saving and we're doing this but i don't know what i'm doing i'm i'm trying i might be better Than you, but I don't really know what I'm doing. And it really created this healthy environment to talk about it and to really talk Mm -hmm. about what's important and what role do they want to be playing? A lot of them didn't want to be taking all of this on and they're busy at work. And then when they want to enjoy their hobbies outside of work, they're like, I don't want to be doing this. And I don't know how I got tasked with this, but I am by no means a professional and I'm out of my comfort zone anyway. And it really allowed for both of them to get equally involved in this. And what I do throughout the book is I introduce three characters that go through every single chapter of the book, every exercise from budgeting to investing to all of these. And I work through how these fictitious characters work through it. And one of them is a couple. And it's helpful because it's okay to be different. You don't have to be the same person just because you're in a relationship, but there is a different language that you use around money. And so this is a great way to go through it together as a couple, because it's really going to identify what are your um, preferences and also what are your priorities, what are your concerns, and then work through them because we're different people. And it's good to have that checks and balances, but it needs to complement each other when it comes to finances.
0: Mm. This book sounds like it's my answer to everything. (laughs) You're literally, you're literally, every time I ask a question, no, don't worry, the book's covering that. So don't worry. I
1: thought, I've thought about this before I wrote it. Don't worry. I got you covered. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I think with your level of experience, like you say, you have seen, you have seen all sorts of situations and over that amount of time, being able to probably, I guess, categorize people into this is this type of person, this type of person, this type of person. And most people are generally going to fit into one of those three personalities. So yeah, that's, it's great that you were able to observe that and take note of that over, over that time, because I'm sure it's made writing the book a lot of fun.
1: Yes. Yes, it did. And the book is primarily, you know, the characters that I use, they're all women in their thirties. So it is kind of a more narrow lens that I'm writing this book. There's Mm -hmm. concepts that anybody could take at any age, but specifically doing this because these are the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. And I wanted to show even the versatility between them, even though you're a woman in your thirties, you're not all the same. These are different, different pieces of it. And kind of before they've done any. good amount of financial planning. Mm.
0: Okay. So I wanted to finish finish off by chatting about a group of people that we both have a lot of in our community and that is small business owners. Mm -hmm. And perhaps even with your work now, uh, I'm not sure whether you're mostly dealing with individuals still or whether you're dealing with a lot of small business owners, but that's how we got connected was was through a small business community. And I know as a business owner, it's, it's very different to collecting a paycheck every week or every month. That's consistent. There's that consistency there. Whereas investing as a small business owner can be a bit terrifying because you don't know sometimes how consistent your cash flow is. And then there's other times where the business is doing so well that suddenly you're got all this money that you go, Well, what am I going to do with this? Is this just going to get go into the bank and then we're going to be taxed a lot and all of those sorts of things? So I think there's there's often not just the situation of inconsistent cash flow, but then also on the other side, we can be faced with with huge periods of growth and what does that mean? So I would love to know if if you've ever experienced working with small business owners and the questions that come up around investing, especially if they have a limiting belief that now's not the right time because I'm growing my business and I want to wait and see and I, I'm not sure what comes up. I'm, I'd just love to know how you approach those conversations, what sorts of things that you hear around investing as small business owner, if things can be a little unpredictable.
1: Yeah, I think the, the key to it is having systems in place to create mm-hmm. consistency when your work is inconsistent because I, with my academy, that's an, a nice influx of cash flow at one time in the year. So I definitely hear that message loud and clear where if you're not getting a very consistent paycheck every single month, it's really on you to do those things. One of the the themes that I see a lot is when someone is making money from their business, they're taking a, a huge amount, maybe all of it to throw back into the business. And because they're concerned about the growth. And so it, it depends on their unique scenario. If they have someone supporting, you know, if their savings or they have their partner supporting them, that they can afford to do that, that's going to look really different than someone who's supporting themselves and, and having mm. that cushion. So it also depends on what phase they are in the business. If someone is really brand new and worried about money coming in, is it a good time for them to be investing? I would say no, but it's a good time to set up systems to know like here that to be very clear, just like you would in your personal life, do the same thing with your businesses. How much money am I spending every single month on all of the systems that I need to pay for? If I have a virtual assistant, if I have a brick and mortar, like what am I paying for? So they can be really clear on as money comes in, which money is going where and have a system in place to say, I can afford to take 10% of profit that I have and put that in a totally separate account that I know is for the future investment. Um, for growth, not investment in the company, and to start siphoning that off because that doesn't feel like it at times. But that is self care. That's you taking out ten percent and saying, "I care about myself and this business that I'm going to be putting money here, so I can invest it in my future." Because time goes by really fast. If I even look at my calendar a year ago and every day I had on there book writing, and now fast forward a year, I have the book. I mean you can snap your fingers and five years go by. So I think that that thing of, oh, I can't start investing yet. I have to wait until X, Y, Z to do it. You know, they always say new level, new devil, right? You're going to have more things come up that you're like, oh, this is a new coaching program or this is another opportunity. That's what I want to invest in. I don't want to invest, you know, save that money for myself. So I would target 10% to say that's mm-hmm. money that I'd like to put aside for myself. And in the beginning, if this is new, put in an account that you can't easily access. That you know it's kind of sitting there. Let it build up until it gets to whatever amount is comfortable for you, and then someone can invest it. But they could also see if they did that for six months. Okay, cash is flowing. I actually had a big influx of money. I can put more aside, or actually, business has slowed down. I need. I'm. I don't have enough cash. I actually need to dip into that. It's good too if that also serves as an emergency fund until they get up and running. Maybe three years down the road, portion of that emergency fund can now be invested. So I would just say to target 10%. And as close to that, maybe today, it's starting at 1%. And every three months saying, can I increase that by 1%? And it might take you five years to get there or whatever the case is, but you're working and you have a system in place that I know when I get this money, the link to this outside bank account's already set up. I just have to click a button and it's, it's happening. You want to automate as much as possible, especially as small business owners. We have enough on our plate. So the more manual things you have to do, you're kind of stacking the odds against you. So you just want to make it really clean, have the systems in place. Even if you can't put that much money in it, it's just the act of you doing that, that it can become a more normal um, activity for the business.
0: Yeah so, so smart and so simple. And that is why I love talking to you, Shinabu. because even sometimes when I'm asking questions, my brain's going in all of these directions and I'm thinking, how is she going to break this question down? It feels so complex, but you always have a knack of being able to do that. I think that that is your superpower and that is why (laughs) you, I'm so positive that you help everyone that you come in contact with because you're able to empathize with their situation you're able to make it really simple for them because at the end of the day if you can set this stuff on autopilot it's it means that you can get on enjoying the rest of your life Mm -hmm. rather than worrying about that one day when you're going to retire or Yeah, I think the earlier we can get on top of this stuff, the better. And I love that final thing that you said as well around taking 10% off the top and no matter what you're earning, even if it doesn't matter what the figure that you're earning is, it's the fact that you're just siphoning that little bit off and that in itself will grow over time. So yeah, you've got to start thinking about your small business more practically and and be really smart about it. Because in my experience, when you make those really smart decisions, it actually empowers you in terms of how you're thinking about your business as well, doesn't it? Because you're Mm -hmm. not just thinking about this as, oh, this little hobby on the side and and being, minimizing it, you know, it's. it's Yeah. And
1: you're, you're planning for a big picture has such a positive ripple effect. You know, if you're just looking at, okay, I just got to make my next paycheck or I got to get one more client, you know, you have to do those things so you can continue to grow. But if your vision is just a couple months out, it does, that is a limiting belief that you don't have that money to invest. And then you start to tell yourself that behind the scenes, and then you act in that way, because Mm -hmm. that's what you keep telling yourself. So you just want to remember that saving money for yourself, investing, that really is a big form of self-care. And if you start looking at it like that, you can act a little bit more gentle towards yourself when it comes to to your finances. And, you know, if there's a program or marketing or something that you've been looking to invest in, and you're like, oh, this is taking away from the investment of that, it will happen. Whether if it doesn't happen two months sooner, it will happen. And the program, if it's good, it will wait for you, it will be there and you'll have the ability to to do all of those things, it's not going to stop you. It's really just going to enhance the experience for you later on, knowing I'm able to do both. I can be in this program. I also saved money for myself. And I think back to what you said of just creating this extra uh, feeling of empowerment. Mm.
0: This has been such a wonderful conversation Shinabu, if we want to get our hands on this book, which I really hope that everyone listening to this gets a copy of this book because you you already know that you want it and you already know that you need it from this conversation. So how do we how do we do that? Where is it available? And is there anything else we should know in terms of resources, uh ongoing work that we can do with you, things like that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So from May 18th, it'll be available on Amazon and the publishers are dropping the price to the Kindle version of the book to 99 cents for the first week. So that's from the 18th, I think to the 23rd or the 24th, it's available for 99 cents, the Kindle version. And if you go to empoweredplanning.com forward slash superpower, I have a ton of resources on there that you can get that go along with the book.
0: Amazing. Amazing. And if we want to hang out with you on social media, what where, where are you?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, mostly on Instagram. And I have a private Facebook group that I'm popping into pretty regularly. I do separate trainings and every month there's a theme. And then each week we kind of break it down of the mindset. The second week is kind of my take if it's economic. Uh, information on where we're at with that. The third week's a case study, and then the fourth week's a QA. and a So that's Empowered Planning Community on Facebook. And then Instagram, it's empowered underscore planning.
0: Amazing. Yes, please go and get this book. It, it will change your life. And if anything, it's going to make you feel much more confident about any money decision that you make in your life. So thank you so much Shinabu, for joining me today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.